I I mentioned I wanted to talk about pause. I think I, I got I get some emails from teachers on their mailing list, and Jack Cornfield sent out one this week, and his the subject line was the sacred pause, which made me think about that that idea of pausing, which is so key and so important in this practice. Um, uh, so often we don't pause, so often we run on autopilot. And so I was reflecting on that this week, you know, um, I was talking to somebody earlier this week about waking up at three o'clock in the morning with the head going 100,000 miles an hour. There's no pause there. We're just, the eyes are open and we're in it or waking up in the morning and immediately into the, the 10 things on the to-do list before, you know, before 10 o'clock or whatever it is. And and so often we're just trapped in reactivity, um, yelling, a text, a Facebook post, responding, something we see in the news or social media, um, the, the, the mind, just the autopilot reaction, um, it creates scenarios in the mind. There's no pausing there. Um, you know, there's... <laughs> I, what, my own personal thing is um, when I'm in conversation with people and somebody else is talking and I just kind of jump right in because I want to, you know, you know, say yes, me too, or wait, I've got something to add to this conversation, a, ste- a stepper in or uh, a stepper on or that's my thing. That's reactivity. There's no pause there. I, there was once a teacher um years ago who I I heard him say before you speak count to 10 and it's like I think I've done that three times in my life Um, and in fact I was there was a birthday party last night a few of us were on zoom for a friend and somebody was talking and I found myself just start jumping in before they were done talking and it's like damn there's no pause. I just react. It's it's really interesting how deeply ingrained and habitual this stuff is. And that's one of mine. That's this really strong habit of wanting to get in. And so this, this question of where do we not pause? Where do we get stuck? Where do we get caught up in the reactivity? Um, you know, and it's like I was thinking about not only is there no pause, but there's probably no thought at all. You know, we're just entangled up in, in our our reactivity. And when Jack Cornfield talks about this sacred pause, which I, I looked at, I looked it up and it's a, a piece from his book, The Wise Heart. It's um, he's referring to how we are so identified with our problems and reactions. We put things on. And I've talked about it before, you know, when there's an emotion that comes up, it's not, oh, look, here comes anger. It's like, I am angry, and we react out of that place. It becomes who we are. It's like when we see something we want, instead of going, oh, that's pleasant, it's like, I want that, and we we become it. And so there's no thought. It's just reactivity. And um, in looking up what pause means, it means to stop to cease, to interrupt. And that's what we're doing when we pause in this practice. And we pause when we walk through life is we interrupt that autopilot habitual practice, that habitual um, mind, that uh, that, 
uh, habit that um, the brain's not working tonight, but you know, and the patterns, those patterns that we've developed throughout our lives. Not that they they weren't helpful at some point, and not that they're not helpful. I mean, we develop our patterns, our conditioning, because we we deal with things in our life. Uh, but they served a purpose, perhaps at one time, but now they've been they we've just kind of brought them into what we do and how we move through the world, and they don't always think. I mean, we don't always think, and they don't always serve uh, a purpose. Um, you know, so and when we're working on autopilot and not thinking, oftentimes it becomes uncomfortable. Like last night when I jumped in on this friend of mine who was talking and I just like like bleh, walked all over her and then it becomes uncomfortable. And so what we can do then is get lost in the reactivity to the uncomfort, the discomfort that came from the original reactivity. And what that teaching is, is the, is the famous teaching of the second arrow, you know, where we have the discomfort, whatever it is, and then we react to the discomfort, and then we get judgmental a bit about the reactivity to the, and it's just the second and third and fourth arrow, and there's this just, um, it's uncomfortable, and we, it's this proliferation of thought and proliferation of reactivity, and, um, what we have to do is just be willing to stop. But because we're so used to this, these habits are so familiar. They're so familiar. They're really difficult to put down. I, I don't know if you've had the experience. I've had it in meditation. And meditation is like this laboratory where we see things that we do all the time much more clearly because there's not a lot of distractions so we see what we do and how I, I have had um, arguments with myself in my own head during meditations. Like I'm in the future planning something and it's like, Mary, um, just you're in the future. Put it down. Come back. And I'll go, no, no, this is really important. This one I have to figure out. And it's really hard to put things down. Um and so to begin to recognize that, it's really important. And I found this quote um, by this woman, Lily De Silva, when she was talking about this, 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 this uh, idea. She said, if only one pauses to ponder over one's own welfare, and if only one entertains at least some degree of compassion towards oneself, one would not get one would not get into the clutches of these vicious habits because you know i i love that if we only pondered our own welfare and had some compassion to ourselves we would not get caught in these vicious habits it's like how many of you have that that harsh narrative that judging voice, yeah, that says, you shouldn't, oh, there you go again. You shouldn't have done that. You did that again. My, you know, I've, I've said it many times, my favorite, my favorite name for myself was dumbass. Was, and I call myself by my last, Stan Cavage, you dumbass. And that's harsh. That's not wise speech. That's pretty, pretty unkind. But that was a habitual reaction. 
or I would get into the, the thinking of, oh, not good enough, that, that thinking of, um, you know, uh, inadequacy. We each have our own story. We each have our own patterns and thoughts and, and deep conditioning based on our family, based on society, based on the message we, messages we get, based on who we are, who, who people tell us who we are. And we internalize these and we, we, we react and it can become really painful. So this is about pausing and saying, is this really true? And breaking those habits and saying, I don't think this is true. And and another thing that came to me is how often when we're caught in these patterns, these habits of thinking, do we get into trouble over something? We do something reactively. We are reacting rather than thinking and responding. And we get into trouble or do something wrong and say, I wasn't thinking. Uh how did, why did I do that one more time? I wasn't thinking. How, it, drive, I mean, it's something as simple as driving through a stop sign <laughs> because I wasn't paying attention. That's, that's it. We're not paying attention. I wasn't thinking. Instead of pausing and being willing to, to do something different, um, you know, I was also reminded of, uh, of well, when I was thinking about this idea of pausing means to slow down and stop. I was, I was reminded of the story of Angulimala, if, if you know the story of Angulimala in the suttas. And he was a serial killer and he was, I think he wanted to kill a thousand people. And he was up to 999, and he and he strung one of their fingers on his uh, on a necklace, which is what Angulimala means. It means uh, necklace of I don't know, fingers or something. And so he saw the Buddha in the distance, and he said, "Oh, this will be my 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 final one. I'm going to get this guy." And the Buddha was walking very normally. The Buddha had an awareness of, of Angulimala and knew what was happening. And he just continued calmly walking down the path. And Angulimala was chasing and running and running and running, but he wasn't able to um, catch up to him. And Angulimala yelled at the Buddha and he said, slow down, stop. And the Buddha said to him, I have stopped. Why haven't you stopped? And Angulimala said, but you're walking and you tell me you have stopped. But now when I do stop, I actually have stopped. You tell me I haven't stopped. What is the meaning of that? He, he was confused. How, how is it you have stopped and I have not? And the Buddha said to Angulimala, I have stopped forever for swearing violence to every living being, but you have no restraint towards things. So that is why I have stopped and you have not. So he, in this particular case, he was talking about um, non-harming, you know, not, not causing harm, not taking a life. But when you act without restraint, it's acting from that reactive place. And the Buddha said, you can't stop because you're just stuck in this cycle. And the Buddha said, I, I may be moving, but I have stopped. I'm not reacting. I see clearly. 
and I respond. So that that is the difference. And in another part of the sutta, Angulimala is described as being heedless. And when we're caught in this, re, this our habitual patterns, we're heedless. Um, so how do we get out of that? This is what this is what the Buddha taught. This is what he spent 45 years teaching. You know, start the first the four foundations of mindfulness, which is what we do in this insight practice. The first foundation. Inhale and pause. Exhale and pause. If you've noticed sometimes when you really pay attention to your breath and you breathe in, you might even try it now. Just just breathe naturally. And there's this, this little pause at the end of the inhale and this little pause at the end of the exhale. There's a pause, even in your natural, natural breathing. The second foundation of mindfulness is to recognize when things are pleasant or unpleasant. And this is, I think, so important. And to, even if we don't, I mean, we, people don't teach this particular meditation a lot because it's kind of, um, it's weird to sit in practice and go pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Although it's really beneficial because most of our stuff is, is neutral. Um, you know, a foot asleep is unpleasant or a, a sensation, an emotion can be unpleasant or pleasant. Um, but the reason this is so important is because if something is pleasant, the tendency is to want more or to hold on or to create a story to make sure that doesn't end. And if it's unpleasant, the inclination is to stop it, to push it away, to make it cease and go away. And so we have to rec begin to recognize when things are pleasant and unpleasant. And the first foundation is also uh, uh, about not just breath awareness, but body awareness, really becoming aware of our full being, not just our, our, our body above our neck, you know, the intellectual, but this, this, this somatic experiencing of what's happening. And so we have this awareness um, experientially, uh, somatically, um, in an embodied way of pleasant and unpleasant. And as we slow down and are aware of that, we're less reactive. The reactivity comes from here, from the mind, from, the, from that autopilot response that we've been doing so often. And the invitation is to slow down and not react but respond. So pausing when we practice this, this um, first and second, or practice all the foundations of mindfulness, this, this um, not just mindfulness when we're sitting, but this continuity of mindfulness as we're going about our, our daily lives, as we're going about our business. We pay attention as much as we can all the time. We pay attention. And when we try and pay attention, we realize how difficult it is to pay attention. I, I've told this before, and I did it. I did it years ago, and then I just did it again a couple of months ago. A couple of, few years ago, I was talking about, I was having a conversation with someone in my head, 
I was in the bathroom getting ready to getting ready to go to work and I put hair product on my face because I wasn't paying attention. I was like, and then I went, oh God. And that's a great story. And then I did it again like two months ago and I'm like, really? Yes, because it's so easy to be somewhere else and just and this the invitation is to pause I'm much better than I used to be you know football field lengths better than I used to be but I'm still caught up in thinking and reactivity the difference is when we when we start moving in this direction you know um, we start inclining the mind to be more mindful we're not caught up as long we begin to see it sooner oh I'm stuck in this or oh this happened or we're in the middle of it and we can come back we can stop or we um, don't start because we're we're that aware We've learned to reflect before before taking uh, action. There's a there's a um, there's a a, a a monograph by Nyana Nikatera, this monk who I think he translated a lot of the suttas in the last century, and he says he's talking about the pause that allows us to move towards breaking habits. Even if a detrimental habit cannot be broken quickly, the reflective pause will counter its unquestioned spontaneity of occurrence. It will stamp it with the seal of repeated scrutiny and resistance so that on its recurrence, it will be weaker and it will prove more amenable to our attempts to change or abolish it. So even though it's not, you know, we want it to be gone, it's not how that works. You're not going to change the habit of a lifetime overnight. It takes time. It takes effort. And you chip away at it. It's like it's like this, this whole practice is chipping away. We have been practicing this stuff maybe our whole life. We've built this armor. We've built this protection. Reactivity a lot of times is protection. We've built it up. And it's going to take time to disentangle, to, to, to chip away at it. So moving towards it with patience patience is one of the qualities that are necessary for enlightenment so we have patience and we recognize that these habits will change slowly we don't have to have it all right now that microwave miracle that's not how this works i figure i got the rest of my life why don't i keep doing this and the nice thing is this practice gives us all these ways to reflect. There's all these things we can reflect on. There's the, um, uh, the so many daily reflections. There's the triple gem, you know, taking, taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. The invitation is to reflect on that daily. And it's like, so that slows us down a little bit. Or we have the five remembrances that we are all of the nature to grow old, get sick, and die. Everything we have will be taken from us, and all we have are our actions. The reflections on that. So what this, these reflections, and then there's the Eightfold Path, which is how we, I have found it to be the way we move through life, 
It's how we move in harmony with all beings, how we make it safe for people to be around us, basically, is um, the Eightfold Path. And then particularly wise action, the precepts, not not killing, not causing harm, being kind and wise with our speech, not stealing, being wise with our sexuality, not take, not ingesting things that lead to heedlessness, like Angulimala was heedless. And not just, um, I love how Thich Nhat Hanh says, not just, you know, drugs and alcohol, but what do we read? What do we listen to? That stuff that can lead to heedlessness, that can dull the mind and dull the senses. Really pay attention to how we're moving through the world and how we're treating ourselves, because we have to treat ourselves with kindness and compassion. And sometimes it takes a pause. Sometimes, and, and as, you know, the, we, or we do it, like calling myself dumbass, and then instead of just going about my business, realizing, oh, that's not skillful. And every time you put a, a, a stop, that shifts how you're going to act in the future. It, it's this inclining the mind to move in a different direction. That's wise intention. That's the second factor of the, of the Eightfold Path. I'm going to move in a more skillful way. I'm going to be in this world with more kindness for myself and for others. I'm going to put aside those things that don't serve. My sarcasm was tremendous habit. You know, growing up on the East Coast, as I did, it's kind of a way of life. Um, this, 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 this comeback. It's how you belong. It's how you get you 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 uh, communicate, and realizing that I hurt people, and it's like, oh, okay, have to come back from that. Have to come the willingness to pause, the willingness to let go of what is not beneficial and not helpful. It's really important. It's really important. Um, there's that quote, that very famous quote from Viktor Frankl, who was a Holocaust survivor, and he wrote the Man's Search for Meaning. And the, the, uh, the quote, I wrote it down because I can never remember it. He says, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. That is pause. That space between stimulus, between our what comes in, our sensory input through our senses, our, our, the smell, the sound, the taste, the, the sight. In Buddhism, it's also thinking what thoughts come through. We have the power to respond rather than react. And that and that response lies our growth and our freedom. So to remember that, to pause, to slow down, you know, and in this practice to rest in awareness. We keep still, even as we're going through the day. You know, as I was talking to some people I can't remember what it was. It was recently, and they were talking about Thich Nhat Hanh. Oh, it was Larry Ward. Was, I think was talking about Thich Nhat Hanh. Who's a, Larry Ward's a great teacher, and he's a student of Thich Nhat Hanh, and talking about how Thich Nhat Hanh 
he arrives fully. He is, when, when you see him, he is fully present. When somebody else was talking about Ajahn Chah, who is a Thai forest monk um, in the last century, and he had fully arrived and was fully present. And that's the stillness that comes with mindfulness. And mindfulness, we pause because we have this equanimity where we respond rather than we react and we respond appropriately. It's like when the Buddha was talking to Angulimala, I am still, even though I'm moving, with each step I arrive where I am. I'm not 20 paces ahead like I am. I'm right here. And I bet you each have had that experience, at least for a few moments, where you're fully present. Oftentimes it's like you're watching children play or watching animals, puppies, or or for me, watching my cats play. I'm just fully, there's nothing in the future, there's nothing in the past, there's simply this moment. And when I'm fully present, I'm going to pause because I see I'm mindful. And when we're fully mindful, we don't we 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 act with wisdom. We act with compassion because we see clearly. It's when we're caught up in the thinking and the thought that we cause harm to ourselves and others. There's this, there's this other saying, in making things end and in making things start, there's nothing more glorious than keeping still. So not that we don't do anything, but we have this stillness, this equanimity, which pausing gives us. So that's why I believe this practice is so important because we learn how to pause. We learn to recognize those stories that take us a million miles away, even though we're sitting right here. We learn to recognize those habits of mind, those, those, um, those patterns of behavior, those patterns of thinking, those emotions that show up and the reactivity that go with them. And instead it says, just be with, just be with what's right here. Pause. Really, I love the, the, the idea of being embodied. Be with, fully embody what's right here. And with that, you can trust the unfolding. It's like, oh, when you've cleared away the, 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 the delusion and the fog, cleared out the dust from your eyes, and you're really with your experience, you can begin to trust um, and move in the, the wise direction. Yeah. And in fact, the, I, the word nirvana, nibbana, um, is not a place that we get to. It means cessation. It's like putting out a fire. That's kind of where the, the etymology of the word is. Um, and we cease. So we pause. We're not going here, there, or somewhere else. We're right here without clinging. 
just being present. So I think that's all I have. So thank you so much for your kind intention, attention as I uh, talked about pausing. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.